Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Even without President Joe Biden's pronouncement that the pandemic is over, many employers who previously sent workers home are bringing them back to the office. Casinos were among the first to reopen. Most tribal offices have since resumed regular in-person work schedules too. What's it like being back in the office after working from home? We'll talk about balancing productivity, health and safety, and employee morale coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Actress Sasheen Littlefeather, who famously refused the Oscar on behalf of Marlon Brando in 1973, has passed away, her family announced in a press statement. Her death comes just two weeks after the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences publicly apologized to Littlefeather and officially acknowledged the mistreatment and misrepresentation of Native Americans by the film industry. Little Feather was boycotted by Hollywood, personally attacked and harassed after she gave a 60-second speech at the 45th award ceremony, refusing Brando's honor for his role in The Godfather. The night in September in Hollywood was for reflection and healing. Little Feather says she stood up for Native rights for all Native people. It was critical for the psyche of all our relations to bring awareness to and interrupt the negative interpretation and representation of Native American people by the film, television, and sports industries. The event drew more than 800 people. Some remember watching Little Feather make history on TV, while others have seen archived video. Many say it was a monumental moment on television for Native people. Anthony Morales is chief of the San Gabriel Band of Mission Indians. You know, what, what it took her to do 50 years ago uh, kind of inspires me because for the tribe, I'm the one that likes to go out and challenge developers and always for our people and everything I do is for our people, not only for my own people, but for all our ancestors. Chef Crystal Wapipa provided food for a private reception. The apology means a lot, like when it comes to especially uh, me being a native chef and especially her. To me personally, I feel like um, it's long overdue, but also it is, it's her way of a gift to all of us. Native creatives in Hollywood, both older and younger generations, say Little Feather made an impact. Actress Devery Jacobs of Reservation Dogs. Seeing Sasheen, it's like anti-Sasheen. She is like somebody who has been on my television, who I've been watching clips of YouTube since I was like a little girl. And she's even framed on my bedroom, on, our, on my bathroom wall. And so for her to stand up and stand with her community all, all across the theater, just it meant so much. And it was just like so hard to, to hold back tears. Actors on McLaren of Reservation Dogs and Dark Winds. She was one of our first that got up and that was involved politically and made Native Americans recognized within the film business. She was one of the first, along with the, you know, Will Sampson's and you know the Chief Dan Georges and stuff. You know, Jay Silverheels, uh, Sashin came along and I think opened up some doors for people and made a lot of people realize what was going on, especially in the early 70s with Wounded Knee and the American Indian Movement. 
A letter of apology was read at the event, which was sent to Littlefeather by the Academy in June. At a media roundtable, Littlefeather said of the apology that she was shocked and very fortunate to still be alive to see it. She added, it's never too late for an apology and it's never too late for forgiveness. Littlefeather died of cancer at age 75 on Sunday in California. The Federal Emergency Management Agency is continuing to work with tribes on recovery efforts from Hurricane Ian, which hit Florida last week. A major disaster declaration for the Seminole Tribe of Florida was approved last week, which makes federal funding available for housing and home repairs, low-cost loans to cover uninsured property losses and other programs to help individuals and business owners recover from the disaster. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media's ninth biennial Vision Maker Film Festival, celebrating together. The Vision Maker Film Festival will present five weeks of indigenous films at visionmakermedia.org, October 10th to November 11th, 2022. There's no reason to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. That's why AARP created state-specific, comprehensive election guides. Learn more at aarp.org slash election guides. AARP supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. It seems like so long ago when the COVID-19 pandemic forced lockdowns and travel restrictions across the country in early 2020. Millions of workers in a variety of jobs suddenly found themselves working remotely from home. Many employees embraced the opportunity to create flexible schedules that afforded more family time, less direct supervision, and relief from long commutes. Sweats and leisure wear became acceptable attire for video conferences and virtual work settings. President Biden recently declared that the pandemic is over. And while some medical experts caution it's not quite that simple, one point is certain. Many employers who haven't done so already are now insisting their employees return to the office. Are you ready to hang up your flip-flops and get back to the office? Today we'll talk with some Native employers to hear their policies and perspectives on in-person versus remote work. What do you think? Can people be just as effective working from home as they are in person? Is it fair? for an employer to demand a return to the workplace. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the line in Portland, Oregon is Tamara Henderson. She is the Chief Operating Officer for the Native American Youth and Family Center. She is Laguna Pueblo. Tamara, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you so much, Sean. Tamara, Naya, you are a fairly large organization with a lot of working parts. You offer numerous services, resources for Portland's Native community, and you operate a charter school. During the pandemic, did you still have to maintain some on-site workers? We absolutely did, Sean. Our kitchen never really worked from home. They leaned right into the pandemic, as a lot of Naya did, but they immediately were serving meals via delivery instead of, of course, on-site, and went up to serving about 1,500 meals per week initially. And, of course, our on-site high school was anxious to get back in person as soon as possible to support our 
our young people. And so they did that. Um, those are the two primary areas that stayed open as much as possible or in the kitchen's case, the entire time. Most folks have been working from home. And as your intro kind of made me laugh because I'm home today in the office tomorrow wearing flip-flops as we speak. <laughs> okay. Well, when did uh, the majority of your remote employees start coming back to the workplace? Yeah, that's a great question. We actually are in the process of doing that right now. We had plans to come back after our staff retreat on September 1st, but because of the continued spike in, in rates at the time, we decided not to. Naya kind of looked at some very specific metrics, including the statewide test positivity rate, the local county rate. We looked at the statewide rate primarily because we knew folks were, you know, going back to their home reservations or just traveling throughout the state for various reasons, um, to see mostly for family purposes. And so, you know, we wanted to look at that holistic picture. So that was our initial intent. Well, that was like our third attempt was to come back in September um, slowly, first with leadership and our safety committee and safety responders for two weeks, and then for two weeks with our staff. We're now doing a similar thing, and we're calling it a soft launch starting tomorrow. So Tuesday through Thursday, just kind of trying to lean into it's a difficult adjustment for folks. People have to get used to commuting again, get used to and find childcare, or we found recently a lot of folks are figuring out um, you know, dog care again, um, getting their, their dogs into doggy daycare, uh, that kind of thing. And so we're starting with, like I said, a soft launch. So starting to come back Tuesday through Thursday for the next four weeks, first leadership and safety, and then the entire organization. But nobody's being forced, and each department director essentially listed who are my hybrid staff, who are my fully on-site staff and who are my fully virtual staff because we've actually run out of room to bring all 130 employees back to the organization at once. So there will be a combination of in-person workers, hybrid workers, and then just completely remote workers. Some of those folks will continue in that capacity. And Tamara, how about, how about you? I mean, what did you think of, of just completely shifting everything? Because I know you and I know you're a really hands-on manager. You really like being there in the facility. What did you think? I mean, did you think, did you feel there were some advantages or disadvantages to, to working remotely for the past two and a half years? Absolutely. Both of those things. I mean, I think the advantages were, you know, also our disadvantages. We're a community center and the community needs us to provide in-person services. So that's the advantage, of course, of coming back together is, you know, you can build relationships as a relational people and a relational organization much better in person. Um, so that's the huge advantage. I think one of the advantages of working from home, however, was nobody was knocking on your door. You know, you could kind of stay focused on a project. Sure, your text messages sort of replaced the, the door knock, but, you know, that's still passive and you can still, you know, not respond to a text message if you're in the middle of, let's say, writing a grant versus it's kind of hard to not open the door when you're in the office. That would be rude. <laughs> so I think there was those types of challenges. And then there was the challenge of, you know, I've never met my new employee in person and I don't know, you know, some of what, what um, their strengths are and what their weaknesses are and what makes them tick and how I can support them remotely. It was very difficult, I think, for a lot of supervisors and leadership to figure out how to support people remotely with their needs and still give people the space that they needed, of course, to do their work. Um, so, you know, the advantages were, yeah, we could focus and there was a different kind of increase increased productivity, but our CEO, I think, said it really well. Where we traded some productivity to work from home, we lost other productivity in that, you know, we weren't able to solve a problem in the hallway 
in 30 seconds. It was like 12 emails later, you saw something that a simple conversation would have solved before. Right. Well, you mentioned meeting staff or or never having the opportunity to meet new staff in person. And I'm glad you said that because Naya actually, if I'm not mistaken, you grew staff in operations during the pandemic. How was that possible to actually expand and grow when, when so many other organizations were kind of contracting? Yeah, we really did. You're absolutely right. We grew in staff and really it was possible for a variety of reasons. Like I said, you know, Naya really leaned into the pandemic and knew that our community had needs and that we had folks that were willing to respond. Some folks had to kind of be reclassified a little bit. For example, our learning center staff, their, you know, a lot of their role was to pick youth up at schools, bring them back to NEA for that warm meal and cultural arts and recreation, and then take them home again. That wasn't able to happen, obviously. So those folks started working in the kitchen and helping support the kitchen with the blessing of our funders. A lot of funders were flexible, and so that gave us some opportunity. But then also there was just additional, you know, ARPA money. There was additional federal money that NAIA was willing to apply for. We had leadership willing to put the work into getting the extra funds. And then we were able to hire the staff to fill those positions. We also were growing things that were already in motion. For example, Nasika Illahi, one of our affordable housing properties, had just opened a little bit prior to the pandemic. And Mamouk Tokati was in the process, which is uh, affordable housing for Native artists is kind of the goal that was opening. And so that created some opportunity as well for additional positions. Um, So just kind of a lot of programs like that. Um, Some of the programs through the Office of Indian Education and the Oregon Department of Education just happened to have additional funding that was coming down the pipe. And those are the kinds of things that, you know, our community and our strategic plan has always said that we needed. So we just continue, and that's what I mean by I think there was some increased opportunity to focus on grant writing for leadership because we weren't kind of getting stopped in the hallways so much that we were able to get some of those additional grants written and received. And so we now have two new GED programs, one for adults, one for youth, um, things of that nature that we've wanted and just haven't had pre-pandemic. And so the timing just kind of worked out both with additional relief funds, but also with things that were already kind of in motion that were a little delayed because of the pandemic, like the GED programs, but eventually still worked out in our favor. Tamara, here we are now already into October 2022, and Naya is gradually coming back into the workplace uh, based on, on some of these test rates and things like that. So looking ahead, what are you most excited about with people returning back to the office? You yourself, um, taking off those flip-flops and, and putting on work shoes again. And then what are you, you most um, uh, concerned about going forward? Or what do you think might, could be some potential drawbacks to everybody getting back in the workplace? Yeah, those are all really good questions. I mean, I think the thing I'm the most excited about, to be honest, is it, it isn't silly to the Native community. I had said this um, a while back like, that I really was planning on being at NAM when we came back in person so that I could touch the smudge spot and actually touch it again and touch it again. I think just being in community and being able to, you know, sure we can smudge virtually and we can all cleanse ourselves at home in our own ways, but there's something to be said about being in a circle with each other and having the opportunity to, you know, participate in whether it's smudging together or um, sharing in culture, in person, storytelling. So I look forward. That's one of my favorite things about working at NAIA is, getting to learn so much about different folks' cultures and, and learn from their own people, whether it's, like I said, a storyteller or otherwise. And so I'm 
really excited just for those opportunities for culture night to happen again, for some of our events to come back in person. We haven't, we, the one, one of the few programs we couldn't pull off virtually capacity wise was Naya's Got Talent. So I'm really excited to see our young people again. You never know what you're going to get at a Naya's Got Talent show. Um, (laughs) So those things I'm really excited for. I think there's, you know, there's still some anxiety and some apprehension around making sure that we keep folks safe. We're going to keep, of course, our doors open to all of our community, which means the potential of, you know, bringing in folks that maybe aren't 100% healthy and, and could be carrying the virus. So I think that is something that we continue to maintain some some anxiousness around as well as, uh, you know, just frankly, keeping our staff. Staff retention is so important to an organization of our size and to an organization that focuses on relations and our relationships with our community. And so I think that's a large concern is that as staff come back and struggle with childcare, struggle with the rising cost of transportation, you know, can we keep them on, on staff, frankly, um, because we don't want to lose our, our vital employees. And so I think that's part of my concern. And I think staff are a little anxious about what does it look like to be away from home all day. You know, lots of people got puppies and, and now they're dogs and <laughs> dogs need, mm-hmm. you know, are used to being with their people hundred percent of the time. And so are a lot of the, you know, we have a lot of toddlers that were born during the pandemic and they're very used to being with their parents. And so I think there's just a lot of anxiety around the, you know, the family structure that is going to be pushed a little bit. Well, folks, we are learning more about the shift and the change, the return back to in-person work. That's Tamara Henderson. She's up in Portland, Oregon. She's the chief operating officer for the Native American Youth and Family Center. Give us a call if you want to share your thoughts on working remotely, 1-800-996-2848. More guests, more conversation right after this break. Peyote is an important component in certain Native ceremonies. It's also a foundational part of key Native religious freedom legislation. But the plant is now threatened by land use policies, climate change, and other factors. We'll find out about the push by Native religious practitioners to protect peyote. That's coming up on the next Native America Calling. Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University, now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant clinical Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application deadline is October 15th at online.nmhu.edu. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the return to in-person work today. Have you recently been asked by your employer to get back to the office? If you've been working remotely for the past two and a half years, what have you liked most about the experience? Please share your thoughts at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also post on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Our Twitter handle is 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from sunny Palm Springs, California, is Montoya Whiteman. She is the Senior Director of Marketing for the American Indian Science and Engineering Society, ACES. She is Cheyenne and Arapaho. Montoya, welcome back to Native America Calling. Oh, thank you, Sean. It's great to be part of the program today. Absolutely, Montoya. i got to ask you, are you wearing flip-flops? I am, believe it or not. 
<laughs> are you doing that because you're working remotely? Or are you doing that because you're enjoying the balmy Palm Springs weather today? Oh, you need sandals down here. It's hot. I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, Montoya, Asus, um, I mean, you folks already had some remote employees going into the pandemic. And then after the lockdowns hit, did the whole staff go remote? Uh, yes, we did. I mean, ACES was was um, because of the size of our organization. You know, we were we were already in kind of like the virtual arena, anyways. You know, staff meetings and board meetings and things like that. But when um, the COVID pandemic happened, um, you know, all the directors came together and we really uh, decided on a concerted effort to um, you know keep operations and business flowing and how how are we going to you know keep the doors open and be able to continue our our services and our events um that we we host in um across the United States so for you already having that experience doing a lot of your work remotely i mean zoom calls things like that that was not new to you but did you still was it still an adjustment for you when it was just like official like there's no opportunity at all to to meet face to face everything went virtual and remote yeah you know what we did is uh, in the beginning we had um a skeleton crew so to speak where we had one person in the office on a daily basis and then um, we actually operated in a shift, so to speak, where um, directors or admin would um, sign up for particular days for coverage to uh, be in the office. But we were also following uh, state-required restrictions. Uh, in Colorado, at one point, only 50% of the staff could be in the office at once. So. Um, at one point, we we did not have um, more than eight people max in the office, just just due to you know some of the state and national guidelines that we were we were navigating at the time. Now, Asus, you folks maintain uh, headquarters, I believe, in Colorado, but you also have a field office in New Mexico. Was that challenging having to to manage employees out of two separate offices like that? So actually, it's quite the opposite, Sean. Our headquarters is in Albuquerque, and then our satellite office is in Colorado. Oh, and, sorry. Um, yeah, um, but we did. Uh, it was an adjustment for for all of us because eventually it was like nobody was going into the office, and so uh, you know it just required we just went totally virtual. And um, now everybody's just really experts in Zoom and WebEx and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it was it was a real adjustment, and one of the things that's happened since the pandemic is that um, our Colorado office moved into a new building, and we just did that um, this year. And what was what's really unique about that is that we were you know we took we we were looking at like who's who's telecommuting, who as we ease back into the office, who might not be telecommuting, and we were looking at. Like who who needs an office and who doesn't, and so what we really what we did is we changed to kind of a very open space. Um, bring your computer into work and connect into like these workstations where it's just you know people can sit there and look at each other and interact and and so we we actually just kind of changed the whole direction of how our offices were before, where people were working in cubicles or working, you know, in their own dedicated office. And so we still have people that, that if they want offices, they can have, you know, they can 
have um, privacy and whatnot, but in general, we've moved more to a very different concept for us where it's very open and uh, people can interact more. Montoya, you're describing kind of the workplace of the future, right? The co-working spaces where people just come in and sit down at a station and, and get to work. And what's been the response so far? Do ACES employees like that, that more modern type of, of work setting? Actually, I'm one of the the kind of old fogies in the office, and I actually like the concept myself. And I had been telecommuting before the pandemic, but now when I go into the office, it's just, first of all, I want to see people. It was just, it's hard, too, when you're working at home all the time and you're just seeing people on a screen. It can be so impersonal. And so I think with this new concept that we have, it actually is being very well received by everyone that's in the Colorado office, and we enjoy it more. And it's, I don't know, it's just a new dynamic that um, seems to be um, very well received by the staff. Montoya, one of the big issues I keep reading about in, in articles, our employers are concerned that when people work remotely, they're not as productive, they, they can kind of hang out in their own, they're not as focused. What's your thought on that? Do you feel that uh, employees in, in your organization are more or less productive when they're out working remotely on their own, unsupervised? Well, you know, our, our, we have a really, really strong leadership at ACES that's, that's always been very supportive of the staff and is like, um, almost independent and autonomous in a sense, where it's like, you know what you need to do. Um, it, it's, it's uh, you know, taking ownership and responsibility for whatever your workload is. But I, I um, last week was looking at a, an article by, um, from Microsoft, and Microsoft has like software out there that, and it directly, their own company is looking at hybrid work. And it's like, you know, what, what are, the challenges of, of being hybrid and, or people coming back into the office. And it's clear that, you know, there can be a disconnect between employees and your organization and, you know, what, what, how can, um, you know, we all meet together to, to, to um, make work productive and, and for the employee, but also for ACES, you know, to, to um, be able to still deliver those services. So it, it's, it is, um, it has been, I don't think it's been a challenge for us, but it, it is something that we're focused on. And we are looking into like, you know, what what is happening in other companies, what's happening with, you know, our partners. Um, you know, we're always very, we're, we're always on trend, so to speak, and trying to be um, aware of what's happening, you know, outside of our organization. And then how does that relate um, internally to our own organization and our staff. Now, Montoya, when you had so many people working remotely and, and ACES is a large organization, did you folks have any excuse me, technology challenges? Did everybody have access to, to good internet and, and to be able to take advantage of all these programs like Zoom and everything else that people are using to communicate in these virtual settings? I think one of the main challenges for us is like, you know, not everybody's really tech savvy. So, you know, there's, there's a real learning curve, I think, when it comes to Zoom calls and, you know, dial-ups and links and all that kind of stuff. So that was probably the biggest challenge for us. 
um, when we have uh, staff meetings, we're, we're almost, um, you know, 50 people at the organization. And so we're, we're just, you know, always trying to, um, you know, manage what, what's out there for us and, and to make co- uh, connectivity a lot easier for everyone. But I would say that there was, you know, really some big hurdles that we needed to, to get by in order to, you know, continue to keep our work flowing. And on a personal level, Montoya, do you prefer working remotely or would you rather work face-to-face? I actually enjoy working remotely. Um, I, I kind of, uh, when I was listening to um, Tamara earlier, it's like, I'm a dog parent. I like being home with my dog. It's fun. <laughs> but also, you know, I enjoy um, I enjoy my, my uh, work colleagues. You know, they're, they're all very talented, dynamic people. And I do miss that 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 face-to-face interaction. And so, you know, I'm, I'm actually, and a lot of us are talking yesterday um, about some of us are looking to go into the office more often um, because, you know, we just like that human interaction and we just like each other. And so it's nice when you like what you're doing, you love your job, you like the people you work with. And so I think that, you know, productivity just follows that trend. Has ACES had any pushback from employees that that don't want to return to the office? I would say no. Um, One of the things, and and I was um, talking with Saul earlier about it, is that, um, you know, we didn't get pushback. Um, I don't think we have. Um, But, you know, it it is an adjustment. I think that the pandemic just really turned the world upside down in, in a sense, and 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 what the what the future looks like for us and and I think that you know it's it's just uh, something something that you know we're going to have to I don't think the pandemic or COVID's going away and so I think that you know there's that awareness factor that we all have to have in order to you know move forward and um, be able to keep keep our you know our work flowing and and things happening for us but. Um, yeah, we're just, you know, our conferences this week here in, in Palm Springs, it's like, but we still have COVID safety protocols in place. And, you know, we're, we're always being proactive to, to encourage people. It's like, it's a, you, you know, for your safety and the safety of others, it's like practice, you know, hand washing and using hand sanitizer and all of that. So, um, you know, we're just, you know, like everybody else making it work. And some of these protocols, safety protocols you mentioned, uh, are you folks maintaining those standards as well in your offices in Albuquerque and Colorado? Yes, we um, we definitely, uh, again, um, our workstations are, you know, they're not in close proximity to each other. Um, you know, we, but we do follow, I mean, uh, you know, we kind of practice what we advocate to everyone else. And so, yeah, that's happening on a daily basis. Well, Matoya, you stay safe out there in Palm Springs. Enjoy that wonderful weather with your flip-flops on. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your experiences. And we also heard from Tamara Henderson there in Portland, Oregon. And we're learning a lot about what Native organizations have faced over the last two and a half years with regard to managing employees. Some folks had everybody come out of the office and work remotely from home. Some folks had to maintain specific services and 
connections with clients and staff, and they had to have people either working in a hybrid context, or some folks actually had to stay in there and keep working, like in food services and some of these other programs. So it's a really, really interesting show today. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That is the number. Let us know what you think. Are you a fan of remote work? Do you prefer working face-to-face with people? Let us know. We'd really love to hear from our listeners today. Speaking with us now in Denver, Colorado, is Rick Waters. He is the executive director for the Denver Indian Center. He is Kiowa and Cherokee. Rick, welcome to the show. Greetings, Sean, from Crossroads of Indian Country, Denver. Crossroads of Indian Country, that is sure the truth, Rick. Really appreciate you joining us and and sharing all of your knowledge and expertise. We go back a few years, Rick. It's great to hear your voice. And, uh, Again, you know, the Crossroads, Denver Indian Center is is the hub for so many Native people in that large metropolitan area. How are your employees and services impacted by the lockdowns? Well, when you, when you consider the Denver Indian Center, and just by our name alone, we're very comprehensive in a sense of our, of our services. And I often say we're very similar to a tribe or a tribal headquarters when, when people have needs or they have uh, – a need or, or want information, whether they're native or non-Indian, uh, they will look. They will look to the Indian Center. They will Google and whatever their question is or concern or, or whatever, uh, Denver Indian Center pops up here here in Denver. So, uh, our services, our mission statement, basically is serving the community. And the pandemic, when it hit. Uh, Basically, concern for the community was number one priority for us. So safety, all all the protocol measures, and Colorado was one of those states that that really, uh, in a sense, locked down or tried to be preventative. So we were following along uh, that line of thinking as well. Uh, And also the idea of preserving our culture through our elders. And so... Uh, that was one of the, the areas. We did not want to be a, a spreader uh, of COVID. So all of the programming that we have here is face-to-face. So we had to look at, you know, what could we maintain? What could we continue? Uh, obviously, you know, hosting uh, events, activities, powwows, gatherings, you know, that that was obviously not going to happen. Uh, the face-to-face programming, the, the culture classes, the, the life skill classes, the uh, job training opportunities, those uh, and the services that go along with those programs, uh, that was not uh, going to happen when, when the lockdowns happen. And then, of course, you know, we facility, we own our own building. We have a large all-purpose uh, room that is, is basically it's a gym, but it, it serves many purposes. And that, that went vacant. And it was interesting just before COVID hit, we had a uh, million dollars plus renovation done on that. And so here we always had a, had a place for a party, but nobody to come. And mm-hmm. so it, it really did impact us. Everything uh, that we generally um, did on a day-to-day basis uh, was, was directly impacted because uh, it, it's face-to-face, person-to-person, in, in-person kind of uh, service administration that we do here. Now, real quickly, uh-huh. answer the question, what did we go into and what did increase was our food bank. Uh, we, we we were never really a, a, a normal food bank, um, 
prior to COVID, we had a pantry and we had a commodities program for our seniors and we had some emergency uh, assistance available, uh, but very limited th throughout the, the months and weeks and so forth. But when COVID hit, automatically overnight, uh, the demand for food and the need, not necessarily the demand, but the need for food from, from many segments of our community hit. So we overnight converted almost into a full-blown full uh, food bank, serving uh, close to 130 families a week and individuals, uh, whereas before we were serving on average about 30 families uh, a week. So uh, Huge a little increase. bit about how it impacted us. Huge increase. We're speaking with Rick Waters. He's there uh, at the crossroads of Indian country, as he describes it, Denver, Colorado, Denver Indian Center. And we're learning about how they adjusted during the pandemic with regard to employees working remotely. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number is 1-800-996-2848. Let's get some calls going. We'd really like to hear from some of our listeners. What do you think? Can you work just as productively in person as remotely? We'll be right back. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you ready to get back to the office? With the pandemic easing up, the debate over in-person versus remote work is resurfacing. And we want to hear your take on employers who demand employees get back into that workplace. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's our number. Rick Waters is the executive director of Denver Indian Center. And Rick, uh, right now, as it stands, uh, are all of your employees back in, in the office or do you still have some folks working remotely? No, we began transitioning back to being fully staffed back in April. And like I mentioned earlier, I think some of the service, well, the majority of the services we provide and the staffing that we have, except for maybe our accountants, is is directly to the to the public. So beginning in April, we started transitioning back with the understanding that those, you know, staff members that, you know, were dealing with uh, children and, and uh, the other things that, that COVID threw on us, you know, we were going to work with them. But, you know, it's hard to clean the bathrooms from home. It, it's it's hard to, uh, you know, coach a basketball game from home or a lacrosse game from home. It's hard to hand off a box of food to somebody from remotely. So the majority of services we provide, you have primarily to be there in person. And that's just more effective in our minds. But uh, we've been very considerate and, and flexible if those issues uh, arose personally with some of our staff, uh, we acknowledge that. And so it's an adjustment. And so in April, we began uh, coming back to typical eight to five. And then of course we have evening programs. Uh, but just now we're getting to that point where people are starting to feel back to more of a, a 
comfortable and, and routine, I, I guess, of, of being back mm-hmm. at the office. One thing, Rick, that I've been really curious about is, you know, you, you hear about workplace issues like harassment and things like that, and it's kind of a growing challenge in a lot of workplaces. And I'm curious, I mean, do you think problems like that, uh, like harassment or just, you know, some like arguments and things like that amongst employees, if that's possible, do you think that's like less likely in a remote setting? Is that kind of one of the the silver linings of, of remote work when people aren't as face-to-face as much as when they're working person? Interesting point. Uh, I would tend to agree. Um, and I've always had the thought that anytime you get two humans together, especially a couple of Indians, you're going to have differences of opinion and <laughs> based on personality, <laughs> how to deal with them. But when you work remotely, you know, it's, it's, you know, written communication for the most part, except, you know, when you're on zoom meetings. So that's an interesting point. Uh, I would guess uh, that human interaction is going to be, be, be something that's more prevalent as, as opposed to in the zoom and virtual environment. Now I thought it was, you, you mentioned that you had did this huge renovation in the gym there, Denver and center a million dollars. And, it makes me think because one thing I've learned over the years is that when a when a building isn't used, things just start going wrong. Like like pipes start leaking and roofs start leaking, and there's nothing that will kind of make a a building deteriorate faster than just not having people in it. And I'm curious, did, was the is the is the facility because I know it's an older building there, Denver Indian Center, has it held up okay just not being used? Um, we've tried to use it. Unfortunately, uh, in our partnership with the Denver Indian Health and Family Services during COVID, we were able to uh, do vaccination clinics and have gatherings. In fact, that was the only time we had any gatherings uh, of, of people here, you know, larger than 15. Um, but we also opened up the building to uh, other organizations, even city agencies, to come in and have meetings uh, during COVID in our gym. We would set it up so they could. Uh, with some partitions, clear partitions, and they could have their meetings, uh, as many as 30 or or 40 uh, participants, and have that distancing uh, as well as being a place where everybody's wearing masks and that kind of thing. So we were using the building, uh, just not hosting any uh, large public events like powwows and and different type of open forum uh, job fairs and things. Good, good to know. Good to know that the building was still being used. And um, so, Rick, now, you know, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but based on everything that, that Denver Indian Center has experienced over the last two and a half years, if, if you folks were to undergo another lockdown like what we saw in 2020, what would you do differently now based on what you've learned having lived through this pandemic? I'm not sure we would do a, a lot of things different. I think we would be better prepared. Uh, because we, some of the program that we have were were classroom type program, programs. We were able to convert and turn into hybrid, uh, and what that allowed, what I saw, was it expanded our reach. So, for example, our fatherhood program, where we would, uh, before COVID, would bring men to the Denver Bridget Center, and they would sit in a classroom setting, and and we would work with them. That was restricted to those that could make their way here by driving or the bus or or however. And when we went to COVID, that allowed us to have a broader reach 
of participants taking taking part in our, our classes. And in fact, this past week we had our largest class um, uh, since the beginning. Over six years ago, we had over 20 people in one of our cohort classes. So, I, I think how we can look at that and take advantage of technology, uh, but on a hybrid hybrid basis, and then obviously keep staff that we have uh, based on their skill and knowledge and experience. But as attrition takes place over time, we lose a lot of our staff to uh, bigger dollars in the private sector. But uh, we know now that the type of staff that we bring in, new employees, we know, you know, what what uh, in, in the job interviews to see and let them know what, you know, they might be able to uh, bring to the, the the table in a, a more hybrid environment if if that was to happen. So, Rick, you touched on on being able to expand your services virtually to more participants. And when when I think of Denver Indian Center, I think of a, a community focused, Colorado focused uh, delivery service provider area. But really, working remotely, I mean, the sky's almost the limit. I mean. You, you could feasibly even offer your services to, to native people in other states nationally. Is would isn't that kind of something that could potentially occur based on these new everything we've learned since COVID? Well, exactly, and we're we're looking at that now. We have obviously restrictions based on funding, uh, but we have seen some uh, loosening of those. For example, our, our one of our programs, the fatherhood program, originally through the grant, it's a federally funded program. It was restricted to the seven county area of the Denver metro area. And then when we uh, explained the opportunity we had through Zoom to reach a, a broader audience here in Colorado, we were allowed to extend that to participants within the state. Um, but you know, it may be that now we were able to argue the point that this would be something that would be available to somebody in, in California or Florida or, or New York State uh, to participate through our program. So uh, those are obviously things that we, we look at it in planning uh, for new opportunities and providing services here. Well, Rick, thanks for joining us today, and good luck to you and everybody else uh, up there at the Denver Indian Center, hardworking people there in Denver, Colorado. Speaking with us now from Albuquerque, New Mexico is Lynette Toya. She is a human resources generalist for Amerind, a tribally owned insurance provider. And uh, note of disclosure, Amerind is an underwriter for Native America Calling and our parent company, uh, Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation. Uh, Lynette Toya, she is from Jemez Pueblo. Lynette, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sean. Thank you for having me on the show today. Yeah, you bet, Lynette. I'm excited to talk with you more. And tell us, when did Amber and staff first begin returning to the office? So we're a little ahead of the curve. Um, we we deployed all of our staff. You know, we we had kept an eye on the data as, you know, we started hearing more and more about, you know, COVID and the the cases rising in New Mexico. And um, when the day came, when the governor of New Mexico stated, you know, they um, stated the pandemic, um, we we deployed all of our our employees all <laughs> all in one day. Luckily, we had you know some some policies and procedures in place regarding tele tele um, telecommunicating. Um, so that was a little that was 
that was a little easy um, to to um, to control. Um, but we we deployed in March of 2020, and um, we worked from home for 14 months, and we slowly um, introduced a hybrid schedule back in um, February of 2021. Um, it started with um, bringing our leadership um, team back in and working um, an A and B schedule. Um, after that, then we um, we um, we kept an eye on the data as far as um, you know the cases, and then we determined you know when it was time to bring all of our employees back into to the office, which was um, May <clears throat> May 2021. Mm-hmm. So we spend about a good 14, 14 months and um, working from home, and now we've been back in the office for um, a good eighteen months. So over a year working remotely, and and what's your thought, Lynette, in terms of um, having staff work remotely? Do you think they're more productive, less productive, or is there a difference? Well, I think it. A lot of it depends on you know the position. A lot of um, a lot of the productivity depends on the position, the person, <clears throat> um, how many people are experienced in in working remotely. Um, we were very we were were very productive um, because we learned that we can sustain you know the company the company um, um, membership growth. Um, we also learned that. Um, that um, we did also learn that we needed better, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we also learned that, um, you know, I'm sorry, hold on, excuse me. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no worries, uh, no worries. Um, so we did, we did realize that we did, we can be productive you know, working from home and that um, um, that technology plays a, a big part of, you know, mm-hmm. a big part of um, everybody's sure. position. Sure. Um, now, have you, I'm sorry, um, Lynette, have you had any pushback from employees that, that don't want to go back into the office and, and prefer to work remotely and, and really demand that they continue to be allowed to do so? We did in the beginning. Um, we had a lot of um, anxiety. A lot of our employees were hesitant about returning. Um, we did have a lot of people that were impacted by the virus. You know, losing family, family members. Um, you know, of course, getting the virus themselves, and they wanted to make sure that we, you know, as an employer, were providing, um, you know, a safe workplace. Um, we also had to deal with. Um, you know, childcare. Um, um, as as both um, Tamara, Tamara and um, Montoya stated, some of the, the the struggles for our employees were finding childcare. So one of the things that we did was we, um, while we were on a hybrid schedule and A and B schedule, um, we allowed we created a a workspace for children that. Um, you know, we're we're also um, working from home, and we allowed our employees to bring their children in. We created um, um, social distancing protocols. 
um, and you know, enable, to enable our employees to be more productive, come into the workplace. Because I do agree, you know, it is um, there's so much more to um, having the ability to walk over to our team members to ask questions. You know, um, that's so much more effective. I know the technology helps um, by being able to message message each other, but to get that instant um, instant response or um, you know that discussion, mm-hmm. it takes a little bit more time to you know make sure the person is available or um, you know give our our customers that that um, um, response time. Right. Right. Well, that that's really really commendable that you were able to to accommodate uh, employees like you describe and uh, children being able to come to the workspace for for parents that have challenges with childcare and things like that. So, I'm curious, was that enough? Uh, what you were able to do to get everybody back in the office, or were there still some folks that were like, "Nope, sorry, that's not enough." And did you lose anybody? Did somebody anybody just quit and say, "That's it, we're done, we're not ever coming back to the office." We did. Um, we did have, have some turnover during that time, and a lot of it was, you know, um, personal personal opinions, um, their their fears, and um, just knowing that they could possibly find a position uh, that was totally remote. Um, in those cases, you know, we did we did. Um, you know, we did extend an ear and listen to their to their um, their their thoughts and their feelings about returning to work, and you know, tried to understand the employee. And you know, we tried to work um, as much as we can with the employee to provide you know flexibility and and offer you know uh, a hybrid schedule. But again, you know, our our um, our practice was to bring everybody back in to provide, you know, the customer service that we need, you know, to mm-hmm. our to our members, you know, because there's nothing more than the human touch, you know. One of the services that we offer, you know, within Amarin is okay. uh, safety training. Lynette, so I'm sorry, safety- we're, we're going to have to wrap up the show. I really appreciate all those comments, though. And, I, yeah, the human touch, uh, it's certainly what's something that's been missing in so many workplaces uh, over the last two and a half years. But things are, are changing quickly. And I want to thank all of our guests for their insights and perspectives on the return to in-person work. Join us here at Native America Calling again tomorrow. We'll hear about efforts to protect the peyote plant, an important part of some Native ceremonial practices. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Spruce. As always, thank you for listening. Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. Work with experts in the field to form strategies and build relations to better the future of repatriation at the 8th Annual Repatriation Conference, October 11th, 12th, and 13th, hosted by the Association on American Indian Affairs and the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi Indians. Learn more at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. If you or someone you know is feeling sad, hopeless, or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call, text, or chat 988. 988 is a new three-digit dialing code for 24-7 emotional, mental, or substance misuse support. 988 connects you to free, confidential support. You are not alone in a crisis. Just call, 
text or chat 988. For more information, visit 988.nm.org. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.